thanks be unto God for the victory that is given to us in Christ Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15, 57. We sing about it in the old hymn song, Victory in Jesus. Man, one of my favorite uh, songs of praise unto the Lord. That's what we have. That's why we sing about it. That's why we want to sing about it. It's because we've experienced the victory that comes in knowing Christ. You say, brothers, well, victory over what? Well, victory over a lot of things. Victory over sin, first of all. The Bible says when we are apart from Christ, dead in trespasses and sins, we're actually slaves to sin. But because of the shed blood of Jesus, forgiveness is offered to everyone who places their faith and trust in Him. If you believe it, say amen. Now, when your sins are forgiven, you are then set free to be what the Lord has actually created you to be. You're set free to be what's pleasing unto Him. And all of that is because of the forgiveness offered by the Lord Jesus Christ. So He sets us free of sin. He gives us victory over sin. But He also gives us victory over Satan. The Bible says that we have an adversary. We have an enemy. And Satan is our enemy. He's not an enemy like flesh and blood, but he's an enemy that is spiritual in nature. And so to defeat our enemy who is spiritual in nature, you have to operate in the spirit. You have to live in the spirit. You have to walk, brother, in the spirit like you talked about this morning. You've done a great job with that. I love that. You've got to allow God the Holy Spirit to work on you, work in you, and work through you. And listen, when you do as a believer, you can experience victory over our enemy, Satan himself. The Bible says, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. We have victory over sin. We have victory over Satan. Let me tell you the one I love. We have victory over self. We have victory over sin. You say, brother, what do you mean over self? Well, my greatest enemy most of the time is myself. It's that old fleshly nature that uh, rears its ugly head again in my life and I start thinking and acting and making decisions like the old man thinks and acts and how the old man makes decisions. And when I do so, it hinders me from being effective in my walk with Jesus. We make a conscious choice daily whether to walk in the flesh or to walk in the spirit. But I'm thankful I can tell you this morning that for the child of God, you can have victory over that old sinful nature, over the old man. You can reckon yourselves dead to the flesh because of the work Christ has done for us and in us. We can have victory over self. Satan. Sin. We talked last week about situations. All of us face situations in our lives that sometimes we don't understand. And we say, Lord, why is this happening to me? Why must I go through what I'm facing? We can rest assured and be confident that no matter what situation you face in your life, no matter what stuff you've got going on, that my God, listen to me, this is the truth of God's word. My God, my heavenly Father, works all things together for our good and his glory. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't understand how all that works. How about you? Have all of y'all worked that out in your head logically and reasonably? How that God can take bad things and cause good things to come from them? How God can take things you don't understand and bring understanding? How God can hit a... 
straight lick with a crooked stick and you wonder, Lord, how are you doing this? Well, I'll tell you how he's doing it. Because he is God. He sees the whole picture. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He is omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times. He's omniscient. Listen, he knows all things. I don't. I don't know what tomorrow holds. He does. Listen, I can't be everywhere at all times. He can be. Listen, I don't have the power to fix situations beyond my control, but he certainly does. So whatever situation you face, you can rest assured as a child of God, he's working it together for your good and his glory. We have victory over situations, but I didn't get finished last week. So I want to finish today. We also have victory over suffering. I wish this morning I could tell you that just because you're a man, woman, boy, or girl who's placed their faith in Jesus, that you're never going to suffer in this life. I'm talking about that gut-wrenching suffering. I'm talking about that suffering that just don't knock you to your knees but puts you on your face. I'm talking about that suffering that leaves you wondering so many questions. The type of suffering that without the power of God, you'll never get through. I'm talking about that kind of... Listen, do you realize as a child of God, you can even have victory in, through, and over suffering? You can. The Bible promises that. I'm telling you, it's good to know Jesus. It's good, the victory we have in Jesus. Listen to what the Bible tells us here in Matthew chapter number 26. And we're going to start there, verse number 36. Listen to this. Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go yonder and pray. And he took with him Peter and two sons of Zebedee, James and John. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. We, he went a little further and he fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but your will be done, as you will it, Lord. Verse 40, then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, what could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Somebody needs to say amen right there. That's the truth. That old man, that old flesh, that old nature, it's, it's, it's listen to me now, it's willing, or excuse me, it's weak, even though the spirit is willing. We have a desire as the people of God to do the things of God, to please God in our every decision, to know the Lord and experience Him more day by day. We have that desire that is given to us by the precious Holy Spirit, but that flesh is weak. My goodness, it's weak. I see that so much in my life. We've got to be careful not to allow the weakness of the flesh to cause us to stumble. And that's what Jesus is saying to them. And so watch what happens. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 42, again a second time. He went and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if this cup cannot pass from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. 
So three times he's prayed the same prayer. Now let's go on. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping, resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Let's pray together. Father, again, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for this good day. Thank you for the promise that when we gather together, you meet with us. Lord, we know that you never leave nor forsake us. We know that you are here this morning. We've already sensed, experienced, encountered your presence. Thank you for manifesting yourself to us today in such a powerful way. Thank you, Lord, for each and every one that is here. And I know nobody this morning is here by accident. I know that each and every one of us have been placed here by your sovereign will so that we can get a hold of your truth. But, Lord, I can't give it in my power. I don't want to give it in my power. Lord, I don't want to mess up what you're saying and what you're doing. So I'm asking that you speak to me, speak through me, and use me, Lord Jesus, for your honor and your glory this morning so that you might be glorified and we all might grow to be more pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In 1996, the Olympics was held in Atlanta, Georgia. Now, some of you may remember those. I remember them well. Before the Olympics went crazy and got woke, um, I loved the Olympics. Now, it's kinda, I've kind of turned off by it, but um, then I absolutely loved it. Man, I look forward to it every four years. I love the Summer Olympics more than anything else because it's hard to ski in Alabama, right? And so I, I never followed the, the Winter Olympics just a whole lot, but I did love the Summer Olympics. And in 1996, some of you may remember the story of the U.S. women's gymnastics team. They were called the, the Magnificent Seven. Do y'all remember them? They, they were said then, that it was said then that they were going to be the first gymnastics team from America that would ever defeat the Russians because we had never defeated the Russians up to that time in, in gymnastics. And they did really good throughout the overall competition, the team competition. Matter of fact, it came down just to the last round of competition between the U.S. and the Russians for the U.S. to win gold. There were two young ladies left to vault. That was the event. And the Russians were ahead of the United States of America by about just a few points, not much. If those two young ladies did well on their vaults, then we would win gold. And so I can still remember sitting on my parents' couch watching this. It was late at night, uh, probably, I don't know, 11, 30, 12 in the morning. It was getting on, on later on in the evening. And uh, I, I was just, you know, excited about what I was seeing there because it was a really big moment. And the first young lady that gets up to vault, she runs down that thing. Man, I don't know how far they run. It looks like 20 or 30 yards, but however far it is, they're getting there fast. I mean, this young lady is digging down this mat, uh, jumps on this little springboard, does her vault over that, over that horse, and, and falls. She falls. She goes too far off the mat and misses her mark. She does it again and falls again. She has two faults, and so now she's disqualified from the competition. The only other young lady left was uh, a young lady by the name of Carrie Strug. Does anybody remember Carrie Strug? So she was not really one of the well-known gymnasts at that time. Matter of fact, she was, I believe I'm right on this, she was actually an alternate that was taken right at the last minute because of an injury. And so Carrie Strug gets up, and she's got two vaults to win gold. If she does good, um, then the Americans win. And so the pressure is all put on her. I mean, this is a big deal. 
So she takes off running, does her first vault, slips and falls, but not only does she slip and fall, she injures her ankle severely. I'll never forget it. When she fell, you could see the pain in her face. And, and those of you who've, who've had ankle injuries, I've broke mine twice. I know what she felt like in that moment. It'll almost make you sick to your stomach, you know, when you have that type of injury. And so I could see she was hurt bad, and she could hardly get up. She gets up and, and hops all the way back down the mat, back to the starting position. You see, she only had 30 seconds to her next vault. If she didn't make the 30 seconds, she was disqualified too. And so she gets down to the end of the mat, and her coach at that time, a guy by the name of Bella Caroli, y'all remember him? He was the gymnastics coach for America for years. And so he walks over to her and he says, Carrie, you've got to do this. We've got to have you. Can you make it? And she shakes her head, yes. And one of, it's one of the most amazing things in sports I've ever saw in my life because nobody knew just how bad her ankle was injured. It was injured severely. This young lady gets at that start line Runs like nothing's wrong with that ankle. Runs on it all the way down. Hits the vault. Does her thing, whatever she did. Lands perfectly like she needs to land. And holds it just long enough to get her score. And then collapses. Grabs her leg. And they have to carry her off the, off the, uh, off the mat there that day. And I thought, my goodness. That is heart. That's determination. I was fired up, man, sitting on my couch just watching the whole thing. So we're all waiting for the score, and she scores a 9.71 and wins gold for the United States of America. Carrie Strug is a perfect example of what it means to press on through suffering and gain the victory. Now listen to me. You said, brothers, well, what does that have to do with us? It's got a lot to do with us. Because to one degree or another, each and every person in this place probably has went through some suffering. And if you haven't, you're going to. I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer and discourage you by any means. That's not what I'm wanting to do. I'm just going to be a realist and be real with you, be true with you, give you the truth. The truth is, because we live in a fallen creation, suffering comes to us all in one way or another. Because this world is marred by sin, bad things happen. Now, you say, Rosal, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, they're, they're, that's a little bit of a... That's not a true statement, actually. Do you know there's only been one time in history that bad things happened to a good man? Do you know that's when Jesus died on the cross? Because he's the only one who's truly good. He's the only one who's truly righteous. He's the only one who's truly sinless. All of us are sinners standing in need of a Savior. So the question when it comes to suffering is not why me, but why not me? Jesus is the only one who could say, why me? And he chose not to. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Suffering comes to us all because we all live in a fallen creation. Let me give you three more statements about suffering really quickly. Number one, listen to me now. Suffering sometimes comes to us because of what we do. We talked about this just a few weeks ago. A few weeks ago, we talked about how that God gets credit for a lot of things that God doesn't do, and that's the truth. That's absolutely the truth. 
A lot of times, the reason we go through what we go through is because of bad decisions and choices that we make in our life. A great example of that in the Word of God is King David. King David was the man after God's own heart. King David was the man God chose to lead his nation Israel. But it was David who chose not to go out with his armies to battle when all the other kings were going out and doing what kings were supposed to be doing. David chose to stay at home. And when he stayed at home, he fell into temptation and actually committed adultery with Bathsheba. You remember the story. Not only did he commit adultery, but then he had Bathsheba's husband killed in the battle to cover it all up. So he's had, he's committed adultery, he's committed murder, and he's lied to cover it all up. And he thinks everything is good to go. He thinks nobody knows. And then the prophet Nathan comes to him at the word of the Lord. And Nathan says to David, God saw what you did. And because of what you did, the sword will never leave your house. Sometimes because of what we do, suffering happens. That's what happened to David. As a matter of fact, the sword never did leave his house. David had one son to rape one of his daughters. David had one son who led a revolt against him and tried to take over his kingdom. And so throughout his life, listen, the decision he made cost him a lot of suffering. Sometimes it's what we do that brings suffering. How I many know sometimes it's what's done to us that brings suffering into our lives? No fault of our own. We've done nothing. A lot of times this happens to kids who have parents that make bad decisions. Parents make bad decisions that children have to pay for. Sometimes husbands make bad decisions that wives have to pay for. Sometimes wives make bad decisions that husbands have to pay for. Sometimes that you, you suffer not because of what you do, but because of what's done to you. Let me tell you something. I'm sorry for that. And let me tell you this. God knows what you've been through. He knows right where you are. What you think. The insecurities you have because of whatever's happened. But listen, tune in with me just a moment. You've made it. You made it. I don't excuse it. I'm not trying to diminish it. But by the grace of God, you've made it. Don't wallow in the past. Don't spend all your time looking back and ruin what's happening in front of you. You've made it. Press on to the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? It's not, not what you do, but what's been done to you. But listen, there's times that I'm not going to say God causes suffering. I don't believe God does that. No more than I would cause suffering to my children. However, God, because He grants us free will... Does, all, does allow suffering to happen so that he can do what's necessary in our lives. And he can use something bad and do something good out of it. He can use something bad and draw us closer unto himself. He can use something bad, or at least what we perceive to be bad, to cause all things to work together for our good. 
Why? Because he's God. So God uses suffering to do things in our life that maybe can't be done any other way. He does. I've seen it in my life. I've experienced it in my life. It's amazing how God operates. I didn't see it uh, when it was actually when I was actually going through it, but man, I can look back now and see it uh, beautifully what God has done, how God worked, and it blows my mind. I don't think we'll ever know just all that God does until we get to heaven. One of the reasons we're going to praise him for an all eternity is because of all the things he's done in our life <laughs> that we knew nothing about. It's amazing. There's four things that I want you to see in this passage of scripture that will help you have victory even in the midst of suffering. That will help you have victory over suffering. That will help you keep on keeping on. Um, just like the young lady I spoke about just a little bit ago. First of all, when suffering happens, you've got to run in the right direction. You've got to run in the right direction. That's what Jesus does. Here, remember what's about to happen. Jesus is about to go to the cross. Matter of fact, when we find him here in Matthew 26, the next day he's going to be crucified. So Jesus, I believe he still had omniscience. I believe he knew what was coming, being the Son of God and God the Son. I believe that Jesus, listen to me now, knew the suffering he was about to face, the ridicule, the shame, the mockery he was about to go through, and he already was experiencing, I think at this moment, the sins of the whole world being placed upon him. And I'll tell you why in just a moment. Look what it says there in Matthew 26, verse number 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. That word Gethsemane actually means olive press. And there's a reason it means olive press because there's actually an olive press there in Gethsemane. And so I think the picture that the word of God is painting is that even at this moment, the sins of the world was being placed upon the Lord and it was crushing him. It was pressing him. There was great pressure on the Lord, so much so that the book of John says when he prayed that even his sweat became as great drops of blood. He knew what was coming. He knew what was about to take place. But when he knew what was about to take place, it's important for us to understand as believers that he ran to the right place. He ran the right direction. The Bible says he went to Gethsemane to pray to his heavenly father. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Hit here, sit here while I go and pray over there. He runs to the heavenly father. You say, brother, what does that mean for us? Well, as a pastor, I've seen this so many times in my ministry as I've, the Lord has given me the great privilege of pastoring people. So many times when something bad happens in a person's life and they experience suffering, they run in the wrong direction. Now, I don't think that for the most part people are, are just not saved. I think they are saved. I just think they have a lapse in judgment for the most part. I, can, I don't know if anybody's saved or not, but I can say by the fruit I've seen in people's life, I believe the folks I'm speaking of right now are, are child, children of God. I really do. I see the good fruit. But when suffering happens in their life, many times what happens, they run the wrong way. They run to the world. They run to what the world has to offer. They run to their old lifestyle. They run to their old habits. They run to the people 
that many times gives them terrible advice. Let me tell you something. If you want good advice, go to a spirit-filled, blood-bought, born-again believer who loves Jesus and therefore knows how to love you. Don't go talking to all these people who have a worldly mindset, who don't know the truth of Scripture and have never been changed by the power of God. Why would you do that? Don't run in the wrong direction. Find somebody that you've got confidence in. Find a brother or sister in Christ that you know will pray with you and pray for you and will give you good godly direction according to the truth of the word of God. Don't run the wrong direction, but many times people do. Instead of running to the Lord, instead of falling down on their face before the Lord, they run back to the world. Oh, listen to me, folks. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't ruin your witness. Don't cause more suffering to come your way. Don't make decisions that will cost you in the future just because things ain't going right right now. Run to the Lord. Run to the Lord. The Bible says in Hebrews 4, 16. Let's just start with verse number 15, brother, if you will, please. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Watch what this says. We don't have a high priest who can't be touched with the feeling of our infirmities or our weaknesses, but was in all points, watch this now, tempted just like we are, yet without sin. Jesus, who is our high priest, has went through every temptation we'll ever face, yet he did it sinlessly. Let's go on. Verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and grace to help in a time of need. Isn't that good? That right there just blesses my soul every time I look at it, every time I read it, every time I think about it. What a blessing it is to know I can come anytime I choose before the throne of grace. I can come into the throne room anytime I choose as a believer to get along with my heavenly father. Me and Brother Eric was talking about this just a week or so ago. Let me tell you something. As you pastor, I love praying with you. I love praying for you. If you want me to pray with you, call me, man. I'll get up early in the morning and do stuff like that. I mean, call me anytime. I'm glad to do it. I want to pray with you. I want to be your pastor. I want to help you if I can. But let me tell you something. Listen to me now. You don't have to have me to get to Jesus. Your high priest is my high priest. Our high priest is the Lord Jesus who has been touched with a feeling of our infirmities or our weakness. He knows what we're going through. And anytime I choose, I can come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in my time of need. Run the right way. Run to the Lord. I'm telling you, man, it's so important. So important. Run to the Lord, brothers and sisters. I'm reminded of a story one time about what happened at the at the White House in the early 1860s. In the early 1860s, they had a guard out at, 16, at, at Pennsylvania Avenue. And, and then right up from the street there, on up the sidewalk a little piece, there was another guard right at the entrance of the White House who guarded the door. And, and there was a little boy who came running off the street, run right through the gate, run right past the first guard just wide open, running as fast as he could, run up the steps to the White House. And before the, the uh, soldier could stop him, he bursts through the door, runs right up the steps, and the soldier's right behind him. Stop, stop, you can't go in there. And that little boy, 
boy's running just as hard as he can run. He runs up to the Oval Office, listen, busts through the door, walks into the President's chamber, and when he gets in there, the, the soldier's behind him. He runs up too, and he says, oh, Mr. President, I'm so sorry. He just got by me before I could get to him. And he said, listen to me, son, don't worry about that. See, this is my little boy. And he can come speak to his father anytime he chooses. Listen to me, folks. You can come speak to your father anytime you choose. Listen to me, daddies. When you ain't got the answer and you don't know what to do and you don't know the decision to make, you can speak to him anytime you choose. Listen to me, husbands. When you're the spiritual leader of your household and you want God's best for your family, but you don't know what the best is, you can speak to him anytime you choose. Listen to me, child of God. When you don't know which end is up and you're going through suffering, run to the Lord because... You can speak to him anytime you choose. Isn't that awesome? We find grace to help in our time of need when we run in the right direction. John the Baptist ran in the right direction. He found himself because he was just preaching truth and doing what the Lord had called him to do. I'm going to tell you what, I love that brother. Every time I read about him, I love him more. He preached, listen to me now, he preached sin is black, hell's hot, Jesus saves, and heaven is sure for the believer. That's what John the Baptist preaches. And because he was preaching truth, calling sin what it was, it landed him in a prison cell. Later cost him his life. And while he was in that prison cell, in Matthew chapter 11, you'll find the story. Here he is in the prison cell, and he has two of his disciples that come to see him. He says, look what I want y'all to do, is you go find this Jesus, and you ask him, you ask him, is he the one or do we watch for another? Is he the Christ? Is he the Messiah? Remember, this is the same John the Baptist who is the cousin of Jesus. This is the same John the Baptist who grew up with Jesus. This is the same John the Baptist who leapt for joy in his mama's womb when his mama got next to Mary, who was at that time carrying the Lord. Same John the Baptist. Same John the Baptist that's been preaching in the wilderness about the kingdom of God. Same John the Baptist who's been baptizing new believers. Same John the Baptist who's done all these great things. And then he says, is this the one? Because of his situation, because of the suffering he was in, began to, get, to be doubtful and discouraged. But praise be unto the Lord, he ran to the right place. He ran in the right direction. When his disciples came, he said, you go find Jesus. Ask him. If he's the one, he ran the right way. Brothers and sisters run the right way. Jesus sent back to him and he said, you tell John that the blind received their sight. You tell John that the poor is having the gospel of the kingdom preached to them. You go tell John all the things I'm doing that only God can do. Things that are outlined in scripture. He'll know it. Go tell it. When you bring it. When you run in the right direction, you can get the right answer. Amen? Run in the right direction. Let me tell you something else, though. When you run in the right direction, talk to the right person. Jesus said this. Look there in Matthew chapter number 26, starting in verse number 37. Matthew 26, verse 37. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and he began to be sorrowful sorrowful, and deeply depressed. And 
he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here with me and watch, and watch with me. Look at the next verse. And he went a little farther down. He fell on his face and prayed, saying, oh, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He talked to the Lord. He used the privilege, took advantage of the privilege of prayer. Now, how many of you understand Jesus is our Savior, but he's also our supreme example of what it means to live for the Lord? And when Jesus was going through a great time of suffering, what did he do? He prayed, brothers and sisters. He prayed. Why? Because prayer is the most powerful force, I believe, that we have access to. When the children of God pray, the power of God is released upon our situation. It's amazing. It's amazing. Again, we'll never know just how powerful prayer is until we get to heaven and see all the prayers that God answered we knew nothing about. Prayer is an amazing privilege that is, listen, made available to all who trust in the Lord. Praise God. We can come boldly to the throne of grace. We can let our needs be known. And the Bible promises in, uh, in 1 John 5, 14, if we ask anything in accordance to his will, he hears us. He hears us. Jesus is praying to his heavenly Father, yes, to get an answer, but also to show us what to do in the time of suffering. Man, run in the right direction and speak to the right person. Number three, number three, say the right things. Say the right things. You say, brother, what do you mean, say the right things? Well, look how Jesus said it. He said it three times, same prayer. Lord, if this cup, if it can pass from me, then that's what I want, but nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. He said that three times. What's he saying right in that? All of it. First of all, he's being real. And he's saying, if there's any other way, Father, let it be. But if not, your will be done. He's accepting the fact that God knows best and does best. When I was 14 years old, 13 years old, my father bought for me my first car, 1964 Ford Fairlane that we bought out of a barn. You could see the pavement through the floorboard as we was driving home. I drove most of the way back on all these country back roads because I wouldn't let him alone about it. Daddy, let me drive. Please let me drive. Daddy, let me drive. And so he let me sit over and drive, him sitting beside me. So we're driving home, and I'll never forget, I had to, it, I've heard people call the steering wheel the wrestling rod. Well, that was true for that old car. You had to wrestle that thing between the ditches at that time. I'm telling you, it was so far out of line, you could go about three rounds on the column before you'd ever start turning the wheels. And once it got turning, you had to keep pressure on this side, or it was going to go that way. It's going to go to the left. It needed an alignment. That's what happens to a vehicle that uh, has been road-weary for a long, long time. That's the way that one was. It had probably a million miles on it by that time, but it, it was bad out of a line. And so and until I got that thing aligned, you couldn't hardly drive it. But when I got it lined up, you could drive it with one finger. 
It was all put where it needed to be. Let me tell you what prayer does. Prayer don't give you a wheel alignment, W-H-E-E-L, but a wheel alignment, W-I-L-L. It starts making your wheel fit God's wheel. It starts making your plan fit God's plan. Not God's plan fit your plan. But your plan fit his. Billy Graham says prayer is not trying to overcome God's reluctance to give you what you want. But realizing God's willingness to give you what you need. Think about that. Prayer realigns your will to God's will. For his will is the best way. Speak the right thing. Jesus was real, and I want you to be real. King David was real. If he was sorrowful, he told the Lord was sorrowful. If he was happy, he told the Lord he was happy. If he liked what was going on, he'd tell the Lord what he liked what was going on. If he didn't like it, he'd tell the Lord. Why was he able to do that? Because he had a relationship with his heavenly father. David was a man after God's own heart for a reason. He had that right relationship with the Lord. And as a child of God, you too have a relationship with your heavenly father, and you can be real with him. He wants you to be real with him. Out of respect, out of reverence, yes. But be real with him. Say the right things. Head in the right direction. Talk to the right person. Let me give you this though. Focus. Focus in the right direction. It's amazing to me Jesus said, Peter, James, and John, y'all come with me. Now, how many know Jesus don't have favorites? He's no respecter of person, but he does have intimates. Those who press into him. Those who want more of what he has to offer. Those who want to experience his manifest presence and power in their life. Those who want to get a hold of his truth and apply it. Those who want to know him. I mean, really know him. That's his intimates. I believe his intimates at that time was Peter, James, and John. And he says, guys, y'all come go with me. He says, you watch with me here as I go there and pray. He comes back three times, and all three times he found them asleep. It would have been very easy for Jesus to get down and out and discouraged and say, you know what? I'm done with all this. Even the ones that's supposed to be with me are not with me. Even the ones that are supposed to be faithful are not faithful. Even the ones who's supposed to love me ain't loving me like they should. But you know what he did? He didn't focus on them. He said, Lord, nevertheless, not my will, but yours. He woke them up. Get up, boys. We've got to finish this thing. Don't put your focus in the wrong direction. Corey Ten Boom is quoted as saying this. She said, if you look around, you'll be perplexed. And if you look in, you'll be distressed. 
She said, but if you keep looking up, you'll be blessed. That's good, isn't it? Psalm 121.1 says, I will fix my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. You know what the psalmist is saying? I'm going to keep looking up. I'm going to keep my focus on the Lord and regardless of what others choose to do, even in my time of suffering, I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. Because of the finished work of Christ, we can have victory in and through suffering. We can overcome. Can you say amen? If Jesus gave us this example, we need to follow it. Whatever you're going through, he's enough. He's enough. Everybody stand together. We sang before I started preaching this morning one of my favorite worship songs and it talks about though the storm rages on though there is darkness in the skies if you're standing in the boat with us tonight the wind and waves subside. I love that song. It goes right along what we've been talking about today. Even in the times of suffering Jesus never leaves you. Never forsakes you. He is truly the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Rely on him and rest in him. I've heard it said that when you find out Jesus is all you got, you truly find out he's all you need. <laughs> That's right. That's right. He's what you need. Some of you may be here this morning, and because of what's been done to you, through no fault of your own, you're still dealing with some past baggage, guilt, shame, regret, whatever. Do you know when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for that too? Do you know when he died on the cross, he hung before God and man naked in shame? Do you know his beard was plucked out? And that was an act that was done by the perpetrator to the victim to shame them, to pluck out their beard. Jesus went through all of that to pay for our shame, to reconcile our shame. Can you say amen? You don't have to keep carrying that stuff around. Maybe today you just need to come say, Lord, you know what's went on and you know everything about me and you know this, you know that, you know what's bothering me. Lord, I'm tired of living in my past. I'm tired of worrying and wondering about my past. I'm tired of being handcuffed by what's been done to me in my past. Lord, I need some freedom from this. Well, isn't he the one that sets us free? Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Maybe because of not what's been done to you, but what you've done. You've went through some suffering. Well, I've got great news for you. The Lord still loves you. His grace is sufficient for you. We should never condone sin. We've got to call sin wrong and 
right, right, and wrong, wrong. Yeah, we, we got to do that. We're going to keep doing that. But I want you to know God's grace is available for the sinner. We don't sin so that grace may abound. I know that. We're not gonna, we don't want to do that. But God's grace is available for the sinner. God is a God of second chances. He loves you today. Whatever you're going through, he's able today. This invitation is for you.